If you've ever had a therapy session that did not go as planned, or a student that is really hard for you to reach because they engage in behavior that is a barrier to their learning, you are going to want to tune in to this one. I tell you my trail mix story, which if you haven't heard it, you got to listen in. Uh, 20 years in the field, and I have really honed the craft of helping students who traditionally can be hard to help. So today on episode 106 of the Autism Outreach Podcast, I am discussing strategies that we can use to help our learners who have behavioral barriers. So if that describes anybody on your caseload or anybody that you are supporting, I can't wait for you to listen in to this episode. And if you like this episode, make sure that you like and subscribe to the Autism Outreach Podcast and leave a review. I always love hearing from you. Let's get right on into it. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Welcome to episode 106 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. Today, we are getting into strategies for students who engage in problem behavior that is a barrier to their learning. Every October, I send you on my email list a survey and I ask, what are you really struggling with now? How are you having difficulty reaching your autistic learners? The number one and two answers are engagement, which we talk about a lot on the podcast. And the other answer is students who engage in behavior that makes it difficult to reach them with our therapy. And really, a lot of the information that I share on every platform that I have is really information that I've learned out in the field. The past 20 years, I had a great don't get me wrong, loved my undergrad, go Zips, University of Akron, loved my graduate coursework at Kent State, had Dr. Audet on, one of my favorite professors here in season one. But I really chose jobs and positions where I was going to be working with autistic learners and where I was going to be working with students who had more complex communication needs, meaning people had trouble reaching them. So I have been working with students who were more advanced in their chronological age, but still did not have a way to communicate with the world. And as you know, if you're not able to communicate with the world, it's overwhelming and you're going to use your behavior to navigate your environment, to get your needs and wants met. And we don't want that for any student at all. And that's really where I decided that I wanted to become both the speech therapist and BCBA, because I was working in non-public programs and I was helping students who really had a difficult time learning. And so I want to tell you about one of those students before we get into the strategies to think about. I was working with a group of students and I've always loved group therapy. Group therapy is my jam. I love being able to plan a lesson. I love being able to think about and analyze peer-to-peer interaction. And I really love that so much. Actually, I miss that about being in the school. So if you're ever struggling for group ideas, I mean, please hit me up on Instagram. Okay, send me a DM. I love hearing from you. So one of the times I was planning 
a group actually with a colleague and she was a friend of mine. And we were planning a group where we were following a recipe. So we used BoardMaker and BoardMaker has icons and we created a visual recipe. And every student, there were about three or four students, every student was going to get a turn to put their icon on the visual recipe, get the ingredient and pour it into a bowl. And on this particular day, we were making trail mix. Now, this is when I worked at the Cleveland Clinic. So we had the funds to go and purchase the ingredients. That wasn't anything that was a barrier for us doing this group, which was very nice. And we would actually take the kids to the grocery store every week, which was kind of stressful. Okay, It was really stressful, but it was good for them because we worked on independence and locating items and we worked on checking out and it was just great for the kids. So on this particular day, we're making trail mix and we're taking our icon, we're placing it on our visual recipe, we're pouring in the bowl. Then when we get all the ingredients in there, we are now stirring. We are stirring our trail mix. And after we stir our trail mix, and as you can see, this is about a 20-minute lesson. Now, it is important to note that every student does have a one-on-one technician with them because the students that I was work that I worked with at this time were in a specialized school for autistic learners who had behavior that this was their least restrictive environment. So they couldn't be educated appropriately at the time in their public school. And so we would see them for speech therapy in this more specialized program. And so on this day where we're making trail mix, we're we're putting the ingredients in, we're stirring, it's going great. I'm thinking, oh yeah, this is a good old lesson. And then now it gets to the point where we're going to try it. And so I go to my student, let's call him Hank. I go to Hank and I say, Hank, do you want to try some trail mix? Now, Hank was an early learner. He was communicating using single words, but his communication was limited. I wouldn't call him not yet speaking, but his communication was limited. And instead of saying yes or no, which now I know 20 years later, and if if you're just tuning in or if you're just listening kind of casually, listen up. Answering yes, no questions is very, very difficult. I didn't know that 20 years ago. I was just kind of getting into the field, putting my toe in and seeing what's out there. Answering yes, no questions is actually extremely difficult. So I probably, I mean, I know I would have done it differently now, but that's what 20 years in the field will do for you. And that's why you're hopefully listening to this podcast. So I asked Hank, do you want some trail mix? And instead of answering yes, no, because that was hard for him, he took the entire Tupperware bin of trail mix that we have been working on for the past 20 minutes, and he flung it up into the air. And so it was raining trail mix. It was raining trail mix. Now, needless to say, this caused a little commotion. And after I analyzed it then and now, I realized that Hank was telling me he didn't want any. He did not want any trail mix. I would have done it differently now. I probably would have set out the trail mix and if in front of the students and said, trail mix, eat trail mix at whatever their language level was. And if the student wanted to try it, that would be great. And if they didn't touch it, that's fine too. So that's how I would do it now if I was doing it differently. So that's the trail mix story. And working in that setting, that was my, no, that was my second year as a speech language pathologist. My first year was in a public school. And then my position actually got 
I got rift. That's the language because there was a big financial crisis in my district that I had worked in as my CFY year. And so then I worked at the Cleveland Clinic for three years. So I really learned a lot in that time. And I learned a lot about helping learners who were not yet speaking. And oftentimes I was working with students who were older in their chronological age, but their communication was paused or they really were struggling to even find a response form, to find a way to communicate with the world. And so what I want to do today is talk about and give you some things to think about when you're working with students who present in this way. And it's important to listen in, even if you don't have students like this now on your caseload, you may, because we know, and it's not just autistic learners, a lot of students really struggle with their behavior. And it can be a barrier to our instruction, either as a speech therapist or a BCBA or a technician. And so the first thing I want us to think about is analyzing and putting our detective hat on and thinking, why is our student acting in this way? So if you have a student and every time you go to see him for speech therapy, maybe they don't want to come to speech or maybe they look at you and say, no speech. I mean, I might be speaking from experience here. We've all been there. We've all been there. I've had times where I would go in to see a student for speech therapy, and maybe I was pulling them out of their main classroom for speech, or maybe I was pulling them into a specialized area in their classroom. And maybe they had been on the iPad for 30 minutes, enjoying life, just playing games and Angry Birds or whatever they want to play, Minecraft. And then I go in and I say, time for speech. And they don't see me as the speech therapist. I am not the speech therapist in that moment. I am the person who takes away the iPad. And I don't want to be that person. So sometimes the problem, and not even the problem, sometimes the situation arises because it's environmental. Oftentimes that's what it is. And so we need to analyze that. And sometimes it's not our behavior. It's a larger behavior. And this really comes into play when we're seeing students that we're seeing in a public school or a specialized program, because there's a lot of things going on. They're in class. What were they doing before the behavior occurred? Did they not sleep well that night? Do they have a cavity? There's so many things we need to think about. And so that's why I ask you to put on your detective hat. I, as a speech therapist in VCBA, am always analyzing every situation. So don't be freaked out if I meet you at a conference in real life or we are friends. I'm not constantly analyzing everything, but I might be just a tad. So I'm asking you to have that analysis. And if you're coming with situations, and maybe it's always the same student, or maybe it's always the same situation, or maybe you haven't really even thought about it to this minutiae yet, but we want to think about, well, why is this taking place? And so I want to talk about something that we think about in the behavioral field is taking ABC data. Now, if you have an outside consultant that's coming into your school district, this might be a starting point. They may say to the team, okay, We have a student, they really are having a hard time. Can you please collect some ABC data? You can Google ABC data sheet, and this will come up with lots of different examples for free. If you're in my course, Help Me Find My Voice, our ASHA approved course, we have this in the course for you because we have a whole module that talks more in depth about behavior. But what that stands for is antecedent behavior consequence. So antecedent is what happens before. What's going on right before that behavior? Maybe in my trail mix story, it was, Hank, do you want some trail mix? And that would be the antecedent. Hank was asked a question. The behavior is the observable behavior that occurs. So in that situation, Hank throws that Tupperware bin 
up. And that's the observable behavior. And the consequence is what happens right after. And I don't, honestly, that was 20 years ago. So I don't remember exactly the consequence. That's why it's important to write these things down right when they happen. Because what's going to happen is over time, when we start to analyze our ABC data, we're going to put what time this behavior occurs, who was with the student when it occurred, what setting it's in. Was it in the speech room? Was it in the main classroom? And then we're going to write down or circle. There's some data sheets where you circle what happens. The antecedent, what happened before the behavior. Behavior, describe the behavior of concern and the consequence. What are the results or what are the reactions? And what happens is over time, you as a school team, especially if you're listening and you don't have access to a BCBA or you don't have access to a school psychologist who can maybe help you with some of these things, you might be working in a private practice and maybe it's multidisciplinary. So you are going it alone. And Maybe it's just something small that's happening, but you want to know what you can do so that it doesn't occur. So these are some things to think about because oftentimes once we know why the behavior is occurring, we can then set up the environment and we can do things differently antecedently. Sometimes we call these antecedent interventions so that this problem behavior doesn't occur because we don't want it to occur. We want our students to be able to navigate their world with their communication, and we want them to have positive experiences. Remember my tagline, let's keep it fun and functional. It all starts here. So I want to talk about seven things for you to consider either as yourself, as a solo practitioner, or as a group. I had somebody reach out to me. It was so nice on LinkedIn. If we're not connected on there, please request me. And they said, I'm working in a new ABA clinic. I'm a registered behavioral technician, RBT. And uh, we're just kind of growing the program. So we don't have all this the authorizations for insurance yet. We don't have a full caseload. And so the owner of the clinic is having us listen to the Autism Outreach podcast as part of our day. I thought that was so nice. So thank you if you reached out and told me that. I love to hear those things. So seven things to consider. Service delivery. Where are we seeing the student for our intervention? Are we going into the classroom to see our student? Are we pulling the student into a therapy room or to a different room? This is going to be different for every single student. When I was working in the schools, which I did for 20 years, there were some students that I would go into the classroom because they had more intense or unsafe problem behavior. And I knew that I needed to have the paraprofessional with me for a safety concern. I knew that it was better for the student because they liked that type of familiarity. And I had some students that I would pull to my therapy office either by myself. So I was working with them one-on-one. I did have a really nice size caseload when I worked in a public school. So I was able to see some of my students who really needed that one-on-one individualized therapy. I was able to see them that way, which I know was a luxury for some people listening. And for some students, I would see them one-on-one in my therapy office because it was better for them that way to learn. But I would also bring, usually this isn't a public school, so I bring a parapro with me as well. And sometimes too, when you're working in an ABA center or a non-public school, sometimes I would go into the therapy, into the classrooms, but sometimes it was a little loud in there. So I would actually pull the students into my therapy office as well. Historically, over the 20 years that I worked, I usually divided my time between a public school and then also non-public programs for autistic learners. So service delivery is the first thing to think about. Number two is staff support. Do you have staff that can support you, that can support a behavior plan or that can support you during the instruction. So this might look like a registered behavioral technician. If you're listening in and you work at an ABA 
center. This might look like a paraprofessional if you're working in a public school. But I I went into the field of speech pathology because I just love people so much and I love helping others. But I like to build rapport with people. I just like people. So it was easy and natural for me to build a rapport with the parapros that I worked with and also with the registered behavioral technicians so that if I needed support, if I needed staff support, that I really did advocate for that. So I would say, can you come with me with this student? Or I had students that I would see at the ABA center that always had a staff member with them because the student would engage in unsafe problem behavior that I wouldn't be able to manage on my own. And so I really am telling you that you should advocate for that because number one, you always want to feel safe at work. You want to feel safe, the student should feel safe. And the reasons that we feel unsafe is because maybe we don't know if the student has a behavior plan and maybe we're not sure how to implement the behavior plan, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But it's important to build that rapport with staff and really advocate for that as well. Okay, the next strategy is visuals. Visuals are so very important. I've had students before, usually younger students, where they might have a visual schedule. And on that visual schedule, it might say speech therapy. And then that might be an icon. And maybe I do see the student in my classroom. And so then they take their icon off their schedule. They walk up to my office for speech and they put the icon right outside my room. And that's a way to transition with a visual. We're prepped, we're ready to go, we know what's going on. I've had some students who needed a visual schedule within the session. So even for students, older students, my last 10 years, I worked at a middle school, high school. So I had a student who was a limited verbal communicator, and but he could read some words. And so I would write out on his dry erase board. I'd see him in the classroom and I'd write on his dry erase board what we were going to do that day. And then after we finished an activity, I would cross it off or I would erase it. That's a good feeling. I do that stuff all the time with my own to-do list. I'll tell you what, I always have a to-do list. So visuals. Visuals are very, very important. And not every autistic learner needs a visual schedule. They don't. But some people do. I orient myself when I was working. My life is super busy. When I was working in the schools and at ABA Speech and at Supervision Academy, and I have three kids and a family... I was losing it basically because I like to be very organized at work and I start now using Google Calendar. Last year, I started using Google Calendar for everything in my life and it really, you can color code things and all those types of things. So every single student is going to have a different way that they learn. So you might have a student who really loves having a visual schedule and you might have a student who needs a schedule for what's going to happen in the session. And maybe that can be text-based or maybe it can be pictures. So you really just have to make that individualized for your student. Okay, on to the next. Have your materials ready. I can't tell you how important this is. I always joke, especially I think in Help Me Find My Voice, which is my first kind of our signature course here at, at ABA Speech. I talk about the types of students that I usually discuss at ABA Speech are students who really need your undivided attention. And I learned this early on in my career. The students that I tend to work with are not students who I can say, okay, one second, Miss Rose is going to go next door and I'm going to grab the flashcards that I totally forgot to get for you. That's not going to fly. And I know you're probably listening and you're laughing because you have students like this too. We have to have our materials ready to go. I talk about in one of my courses. I think it's helped me find my voice. I have how I organize my 
IEP goals, flashcards. When I'm working with school-age learners, I use more of that type of material. But I would label the IEP goal and objective and put the flashcards that were associated with that right in a baggie so that I was completely ready to go. So that student could really have my undivided attention because I knew for us to have a successful session where we were going to keep things fun and functional that I really needed to organize and I really needed to be ready to go with my materials. That can be really hard at first, but I think when you get into a new IEP or you have a new student you've inherited and you're looking at what you need, it's great to have, and sometimes we would even have a Tupperware bin for that student. Whatever makes sense for your student and your environment, know that front-loading and having some things ready is going to allow you to have such a better session. You're going to feel better about the session. The student's going to feel better about the session. We're going to be able to learn together. Okay, the next strategy is a behavior plan. Sometimes we call this a BIP, uh, you know, special education acronyms, a behavior plan. So number one, if you have a student and they're engaging in unsafe problem behavior or just problem behavior that's a barrier to learning and you don't have access to a behavior plan, I would ask the teacher, case manager, you know, does this student have a behavior plan? Because if the student has a behavior plan, you need to have access to the behavior plan. Now, speaking from a speech-language pathology standpoint, what would happen for me, at least in the public schools, is my schedule was busy. And some of the IEPs for my students would go on for two and three hours. But my administrator said, Rose, please do your section of the IEP and then see the rest of your students. This is what gets tricky in a public school is that as a speech language pathologist, I want to be present for the whole meeting. I want to learn all the things. I want to hear the consultant talk, the advocate, whoever is there, the parent. But sometimes I can't stay for the entire meeting. So what usually happens in an IEP meeting is everybody does their part. And if there's an outside consultant involved, which for my students, usually there were, was a BCBA from an outside agency, they go over their part last. So this might mean that potentially you are not even in the meeting when the behavior plan is addressed. So you may not even know it occurs if they don't make a copy for you. So I'd number one, ask, does the student have a behavior plan? And if the student doesn't, then I would relay your concerns about their behavior. I'm sure you're not the only person that is struggling with working with this learner. And perhaps if you're working in a public school, maybe the school psychologist can do an FBA where you're going to get more information about, well, why is this behavior taking place? And is it a barrier to the student learning? And if it is, we need a behavior intervention plan. And that should be part of the IEP. And the parents are well aware that it's taking place. And the whole team is. And you as a speech language pathologist, I'm talking to my SLPs now, you want to make sure that you have a copy of that. Now, it may sound old school, but I have a clipboard and I still do with ABA speech. I love a clipboard. I do. I have all my important things on there. So, but I would have behavior plans on the clipboard or oftentimes in the classroom, the student would have a clipboard and they'd have their behavior plan in it. So just ask about that because we really need to advocate. And if we need training on the behavior plan, it's great to ask about that too. And if you're new to that, you want to understand, well, what does the behavior plan mean? Because the behavior plan is going to have a lot of, should, if it's well-written, antecedent interventions. So these are things that we may need to have in place for our learner. And I've talked about a couple that are general, visuals, 
having your materials ready. These are simplistic, but they may be way more specialized for your student. Okay, on to the next strategy. Keep things fun and functional. I like to embed what my students love and enjoy into our sessions. So I had a couple examples here. I had a student who really, I was more of a social coach for the student who was gifted. He was an autistic learner and um, just the coolest kid, but he loved math. And so he would talk about some social type or perspective taking skills. And he put everything back back into math language, which I, I just loved. He was so smart. And so we embedded that into a session and he loved it. He loved coming to speech. He didn't have a problem coming. I had a student who had a fidget spinner and they loved that. I had another student who had a poppet bracelet and that really helped them stay regulated during our sessions. They loved having that as a fidget. And I think that's great. Want to make sure that we embed these things. I had another student who really loved to talk about roads, names of roads. And so we would embed that into our lessons as well. So we want to find out always what our students love and enjoy. We want our students to have fun during therapy. Therapy should be something when they see us, they're excited. And and I really believe that. We want to pair with our students and be the giver of fun things. The last strategy I have for you is to ask for help. If you have done these things, if you are getting some pushback, you really need to ask for help. You want to make sure that you feel safe, your student feels safe, and that intervention is taking place. And if you don't feel that way, you really need to advocate, whether that means with your special education director, whether that means for your classroom teacher, whether that means having a technician or a parapro present during speech therapy, you should always feel like you're able to deliver your safe services in a way where you're safe and the student is safe too. So some things to think about. Service delivery, staff support, visuals. Are your materials ready to go? Does the student have a behavior plan? Keep things fun and functional and ask for help. This will allow you to help all autistic learners. And here's the secret to this podcast is not just about helping your students find their voice. It's actually about giving you the confidence to know that you will help all autistic learners that you work with over the course of your career. So if you learn these strategies, if you feel more comfortable working with autistic learners who engage in problem behavior that is a barrier to learning, you're going to feel more comfortable serving more students over the course of your career. I hope that this information is helpful. If it is, you listen to the podcast today, please subscribe and write a review. I always love hearing from you. Make sure if you implement any of these strategies that you let me know over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.